the situation here and that he spun at exactly the wrong time and went into exactly the wrong barrier. I'm actually blaming the barrier on this one because not only did he crash into it and it split the car in two, but the barrier got um, badly damaged too. Um, there was even, I think, David Coulthard was even saying they'll have to stop the race and fix that, um, which they didn't. Um, they tidied it up. Um, he thought that that barrier is too bad now. Someone goes into that, there is issues, which is kind of curious because, you know, at the start of the race, they were worried about safety. They were worried about the wet weather and things like that. And this barrier being damaged, yeah, it just went on, soldiered on as if, you know, well, sure, look, no one else had hit it. And to be honest with you, I think they're quite lucky no one else did hit it um, because if they did, it could have been far worse considering what happened to Mick Schumacher's car. It was actually quite staggering. Looking for him, I suppose, it, it happened uh, a foot behind the cockpit. So where he was sitting was fine and then about a foot behind them, the car was in too, um, which really was absolutely... <laughs> I, I, think they're go- I think they're going to be scratching their heads on that one for quite some time, to be quite honest with you. But I'd blame the barrier because Monaco isn't exactly what you'd call a fast race. It's too twisty. Yeah. There's too many turns in it. Um, the racetrack was slippy, so whatever speed he was doing, he practically hit the barrier at that speed because it wouldn't have slowed him down an awful lot going sideways, as I say. It would have slowed him down, but not by much. So... I think they've got to look into that barrier and I think they've got to redesign it. Uh, people don't like hearing words like redesigning barriers, but if it's going to cause that sort of damage, I think they might have even been lucky that that's as bad as it was this year. You know, it really was just, I think they were lucky it could have been far worse um, than that. So that w- that was something just that, that definitely needs to be pointed out. I-, I think they do need to do something about that. Um, there was a virtual safety car I have to admit, and uh, Kevin Magnuson uh, retired moments before that. Um, but then there was a red flag was deployed in lap 30. Uh, the barriers, well, repairs took place of some shape or description, but I would have said not good enough um, by a long shot. They just, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. It was kind of been, how will I put it? It was kind of being chucked together rather than fixed properly, if you get me. And I, I wasn't really, yeah, like you said, that, that's not from a health and safety point of view. That's not good enough for it to be because I mean, if the car was as you said fixed like that or whatever, repaired the way it was, and then it continued, chances are it would happen again because it wasn't done properly, which would have been and uh, to repair properly it would have had to go into the garage or <laughs> probably you know even the second car. Like I mean, if that's split in two, you, you wouldn't be able to uh, even if it was fixed, the car would never be the same. Well, it could be the situation that, I mean, it, it's hard to tell from the crash itself because, you know, the way things just, uh, smoke goes everywhere and water's thrown everywhere and that. But, you know, it, it did make me think, you know, it split a, a foot behind him. Well, what happens if he was two foot in the opposite direction? Would it have split right across the centre of the car? You know, it could it's a totally different outcome for his health. You know, that's the thing, and, yeah. that, that's the thing and, and David Coulthard was given out about it too. To be honest with you, he didn't say it. But I got from David Coulthard's commentary that the race should be black flag now. Uh, that's just too dangerous. Um, I mean, you know, repair the, the... They said... The FIA said they were repairing the, the, the barrier. 
you can't really repair the barrier that quickly. It's not something you can do. You can make it look nice and do your best for the race. But you can't... Really, yeah, you can't repair it. It can't be done. It was just too mm. dangerous. I, 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 I can nearly stake a, a claim as to that will be changed next year. They'll either modify the track to change it or they will do something else with the barrier and keep the track the same. I well, they, 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 they'll probably consult with you on that. Oh, well, no, they've already been on to me about it several times. Yeah, yeah, they'll have to fly over Monaco, like. Exactly, I had David on to him there the other day. I said, look, yeah, talk that's... to my talk to my secretary, please. Just give David cool time. My people will talk to your people, sort of job. Absolutely, you know, I, I, know I'm, <laughs> I know I'm working David too much these days, but, you know, he, he's a good man. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. So, I really, looking at the race, so, um, did it go kind of more or less as you expected, or was there a few, like you just said, there are a few spanners in the works and uh, I suppose your top three let's uh, let, let's hear it uh, on your on your predictions what, what were your thoughts um, well I thought the race was pretty much um, as you said there a second ago pretty much went as it should with a few spanners in the works um, pretty much as it should in that no one can overtake in Monaco. It's exceptionally hard. A few people did on the day, but that's because they were on intermediate tires and the other guys were on wet tires. There's a significant yeah. lap dis- uh, difference in that and a significant amount of speed. And that's what you really kind of need in Monaco. I mean, if a DRS zone, they may as well not have had it. Nobody, nobody got by on it. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's too short. It's too slow. It's too twisty turny. What happened at the start of the race, it was the wet. Nobody really did much. What happened after yeah. it dried up, Nobody really did much other than the, the crash of Mick Schumacher and Charles yeah. Leclerc being called in and double stacked. Um, that really lost Ferrari the race. Um, it was that's... theirs to win, to be honest with you. It was theirs to win or theirs to lose. And and, and that's exactly what happened. Unfortunately, they did lose it. Uh, uh, that was it. Um, during the stoppage that time, actually, Mercedes did have a slight bit of damage to Hamilton's front ring with a, a little tip on Ocon. Um, to me, it was only a little tip. And uh, Ocon was given a five-second penalty. But what was really, actually, what was interesting about that was um, Hamilton was up on um, Fernando Alonso, who was uh, Ocon's teammate. And Fernando was asked to manage the car, i.e. back up Hamilton a bit so Ocon can catch him. (laughs) Yeah. That was the situation. Well, uh, the cars were so much so, and it's so hard to pass around Monaco that Alonso was going four seconds a lap slower than the top four and no one could get past him. Um, that tells you exactly what the Monaco Grand Prix is like. Nobody could get past him. They just weren't able to. Uh, it's just too difficult to overtake. And that was four seconds a lap slower. Now, now Alonso being the devil that Alonso is, I know himself and, um, and Hamilton aren't very good mates, mainly because when there were teammates... Um, Alonso was ahead of Hamilton and uh, won a race and Hamilton wasn't allowed to switch his strategy in order to try and get ahead of Fernando. Um, They stuck with the strategy they had, which, you know, to me seems fair enough, but uh, the two of them haven't spoken since. (laughs) Oh dear, oh dear. But uh, the thing was, after Alonso had held Hamilton up and knock-on had got back onto the end of Hamilton, Fernando Alonso went off and broke, (laughs) went off and put in the fastest lap the next three or four races in a row. Um, so the speed was obviously in the car. He was obviously just doing what he was told by the team and uh, and getting that bit there. So um, that was an interesting little little bit in the race. 
I have to admit, uh, the spanner in the works, you could say to a certain extent, and the spanner in the works with Leclerc falling behind. And of course, uh, Mick Schumacher's crash. Other than that, really, I'd have to say hand on heart, yeah, the, 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 the Grand Prix was predictable. To be quite yeah. honest with you, it was very great. It was very predictable. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, and you know, yeah. feel free. Um, I don't mind that at all. That don't bother me. But I just find the um, Monaco Grand Prix. You know, you'll definitely watch it, but you know, yeah. at the same time, it does. It is very boring, and they did all go around and you know, just head around the place. But I suppose the good thing about it was. Sergio Perez um, actually took the advantage here and won the race. Um, now, I would, watching the race itself, you had per- Sergio Perez for Sainz seconds, Verstappen third, and Leclerc fourth. Leclerc didn't deserve to lose the lead, really. But look, that's what happens in Formula One. But, but when you think about it, the four of these drivers for about the last good while, nice 10 laps or more, literally were lying astern, literally one on top of the others, less than a second apart in most cases. They went across the line, the top four, 2.9 seconds apart. And the last couple of laps, they kind of lost a bit of enthusiasm um, because there was no way anyone was getting past anyone else. Sainz, Perez's car, definitely the graining on the front tyres and the speed that Sainz had behind him. If it was a regular track, he wouldn't have won. Definitely not. Um, he, he was he was actually holding up everyone behind him. But look, that, that's just the way Monaco Grand Prix is. It, it, it just goes that way. It, it was great to see a window, I have to admit. I mean, he was almost in tears on the podium. It was absolutely amazing. And, you know, for a guy who's the second driver to turn around and say it's a dream come true, his, first, his third ever win, you know, uh, it was great to see. He's a really nice guy, I have to admit. You know, um, it just wasn't even when he was making the odd mistake with the grain tires, they just they just couldn't get by him. But look, it was nice to see it. It's nice to see the two second drivers of the teams coming first and second, and the prime drivers of the teams coming third and fourth. You know, it was great to see. Um, my driver of the day, I'm going to have to go back again, and I, I, I've had him on here a few times, and um, I thought he was particularly impressive as George Russell. He did an absolutely incredible job and ended up in fifth place behind the the, 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 the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. That man is really hitting, um, uh, hit, hitting above where he should be, shall I say. You know, he, he's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, Lewis, this, this guy's doing far, far better. Um, I mean, you had Lando Norris in, in sixth place, which was well-deserved. And uh, Fernando Alonso on seventh, who, who he was over the moon with seventh. Uh, and then Hamilton behind him by about four seconds. So Hamilton didn't manage to pass Alonso, nor did he manage to catch back up to him by the end of the race. Um, whereas George Russell got, went out, kept his head down and and, and fought through it. Uh, I mean, if you're even looking at the two, Russell was 12 seconds behind the leader, whereas Hamilton was 50 seconds behind the leader. So there's a bit of a statement going on there. And um, the other guy I was really pleased for on the day, too, was um, Sebastian Vettel. Um, he finished in 10th place. I've never seen a guy more happy in my life. <laughs> you know? This is a four-time... Happy to finish 10th. <laughs> yeah, he finished 10th. He got one point. This is a four-time, four times Formula One world champion. Driving in a car that really is is 
it's only its second year. It's not great yet, you know. It's it's going to take a while yet. That's for broken in. <laughs> absolutely. And in 10th place, you may as well give him the man the cup and the champagne. He was over the moon. So I, yeah. I think my, my favourites on the day were definitely Sergio. He did, he did, it was, he's a popular winner. He's a nice guy. And he did the right job of keeping everyone behind him. Even though he wasn't fastest, he did a good job of that. You can't fault him on that. George Russell, I have to admit, yeah, that guy, that guy's going to be world champion. That guy's incredible, I have to admit. Um, I really think Mercedes should be rethinking who's their number one driver because they're saying the car isn't good enough for Lewis. Um, but Russell seems to be doing it. Not winning, but he seems to be doing a lot better. He's he's doubled them in the championship now. He's doubled his points. So, I mean, it's going to be very hard to catch that. And definitely Sebastian Vettel on enthusiasm alone. <laughs> That's it. And I suppose uh, looking ahead now to the next race, is there a break this weekend? or There is indeed. There's a break yeah. this weekend. And uh, next weekend, we will be talking about, of course, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. There is currently a nine-point lead um, for Max Verstappen over Charles Leclerc. That isn't actually that much um, in Formula One terms. And it is another street circus, which sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. I'd not, I, I, I'll, I'll have a little report on that for you next week. But it is happening on June the 10th to the 12th. And um, we'll see what happens there. It's an intriguing little track. And um, we'll talk about it in depth next week. No problem. Listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to Formula One chat with us and we look forward to doing it all again next week. No problems. Talk to you then. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was Michael O'Grady, our Formula One expert. Players retiring younger. It is a it is a thing that has kind of crept into the game, I suppose, you know, in the last year or two, or maybe even more. Um you, you know, you're on the being involved in the association, I suppose you, you probably see it um in more depth than I would. But um do you think that that's you know, I suppose really because of the amount of training required, you could probably look back and, and see where, where it stemmed from would be the you know, clear management, you know, that the the intensity of training is higher, there's more kind of I suppose more training you know four days or five days a week you know in the early stages of the season um, you know and the amount of tri- tri- training required like like we said earlier on um, you know feeding into that you know, players are getting injured a lot more because of because of extra training and maybe more matches as well you know, well, do you think that that's the contributory that that's one of the main contributory factors to maybe players retiring uh, due to burnout um, over yeah. their career? And is, is it is maybe is is there a way of maybe managing that, maybe reducing the the uh, the training load for players? And I know that's something that you're you're saying kind of off air that you you're trying to address. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a it's a fair kind of consideration, Nate. And I think um, there's probably a few. There's definitely there's multiple factors realistically in, in any decision or any kind of reason why players might be retiring sooner. And, and a lot of players are still going on for long careers as well. But I think if you look at the physical aspect of it, let's focus on that maybe first. You know, the game obviously the commitment level has increased. I'd say massively over the last five to six years, definitely. Um, maybe even a bit more. Uh, so the commitment involved, be it time and training, so tra- training load, has gotten higher. Um, so players may be looking at that and going, well, is it worth the time commitment? So that's probably a, maybe one consideration some players are having. But that being said, I think with the load part or even the training intensity, it definitely has increased. Um, like I said before, we're looking at a contact hours policy at the moment now. We're working with the sports science group uh, from the GEA and their uh, medical safety and welfare committee as well. 
something we're looking at implementing about maybe identifying ways of improving the training environment, be it through a management or guidelines for training, number of sessions, pre-season and off-season, you know, collective training, individualized training, um, fixture scheduling, so on and so forth, those things that might improve, one might reduce the time commitment and the load or even improve the training load in players. Um, I think the burnout thing is, is I'm hoping the knowledge we're actually seeing is probably more improved SNC coaches and managers, maybe even former players who are identifying that the, the load maybe isn't as, as, as massive as we think, but even if the actual training load itself is reduced, it's even the time commitment as well. So if you're training five nights a week, you know, it's, it's quite difficult for players to be doing that consistently the whole time. And it's a lot a big investment to ask players to give up their time. So I think um, we're going to try and work on that as well, about how to improve the training environment, playing environment. How can we give more time back to players? And then also looking at the minimum standards of care. I know this is a policy we put forward to the GA a few years ago about ensuring that all people involved within the county game, be that backroom team, SNC, coaches, physio, psychologists, nutritionists, they are at a, they are at a minimum standard of qualification or experience. So that ensures that the people that are looking after our players in the inter-county game are ones who are qualified to an adequate level and you can be confident that what they're uh, directing players to do yeah, won't impede or won't um, be negative towards their welfare and they'll actually improve the environment they're playing in. So I think that's going to be a huge, those two things alone will be, I think, a huge asset. And then there's, um, without talking too much on it, the, the mental capacity as well, you know, we're on about the physical burnout, but you know, players just mentally might be burnt out from from the involvement in it or from different things going on in their life or from a refocus maybe on what's important to them. Um, so you might find more and more players not giving the longer careers, maybe you might give shorter ones um, because the commitment is maybe quite high. But again, if we can improve some of these areas, I know players are very passionate about being involved. If their body will allow it um, and if they feel like it's worth investing in, and that's where competition structures come in. I think they'll stay involved in the county game for long careers because they're passionate about it and it's something that they feel a, a great responsibility and respect for as well. And of course, um, you know, the whole thing around mental health will be another aspect of, you know, with players that are, that are getting injured. Look, I've, I've played myself uh, and now I'm on the other side of the fence uh, treating injuries, but it's kind of, because I've been there myself, I, I, I can empathise with a player and I can explore, I suppose, explain things a bit better, like as to why A, B, and C has to be done, and and things like that. But mm. um, you know, been, been there myself. I know the kind of the mental, uh, the strain that it can put on a player mentally. As in, you know, players lose. I suppose players lose their uh, their place in the team while they're out injured. They can't yeah. train. I suppose to a certain extent, they lose a certain amount of fitness. They're worried about, you know, how long will I be out for. Will I get back? How long will it? Will, will I get my place back on the team? Um, but also, I suppose, really, they're off work as well. How are they going to cope with? Um, how are they going to cope with not being able to work? You know, or you know, paying bills while they're while they're out or whatever. You know, while they're out of work, some some areas of work they mightn't pay while they're out. You know, there's all these kind yeah. of uh, worries for for players as well. A lot of mental health issues there, and it, it, they are relevant these days, aren't they? Oh, they're very much so. And I, I actually read your blog there about it. I think you made some excellent points. I think, I think the injury thing is a, it's it's a it's a common trend around all sports. You know, in, injury, especially medium to long term injury, can be a lonely place for anyone. Um, and I think it's important that we get supports around players. They have their own social network or their own social support within their family and friends. 
But then what we try and do, we have an injury player support program, which we, we try and touch out, reach out to players who have maybe a medium to long term injury. We often use the player reps on, on our squads to let us know if a player's got injured or even just media. And we try and link in with them, have a conversation, see where they're at, see what supports they have, and then try and turn an injury into a bit of a positive, which a lot of players have done, you know. If you can't train fully, you might have some more time to look at other things, um, be it about your sport or it's be it about your off-field development as well. So it, it's an important, it's, it's a huge, like, injuries are, are, are more common now. Um, we are working with the MSW to try and put a new injury management system in place as well, which will give us a better idea about what injuries are happening in the county. You know, give us some data that we can go, well, okay, here's the injuries, here's when they're happening. What can we put, do, what can we put in place to reduce those injuries? Because that's the first step, you know, trying to make sure the environment's as good as it can. But the mental health part is important. You're right. It's not a, it's not an easy place. And I know myself in the last few years of my county career, there was a few niggly injuries, Achilles and calves and, you know, re-injuries. And you're just thinking to yourself, you know, it's a very hard place to come out of. And I've been lucky through my career. I haven't got many injuries, thank, thankfully, no major ones. But it's a lonely spot. Um, and, and like I said, there's other, there's other um, challenges off the field too, other stresses off the field, you know. No work, not be able to work maybe, or else just having an effect on your family situation as well. So um, it's definitely something I think you look at, one, help the player as best you can recover from the injury, but two, how are they feeling mentally about it? How are they handling it? How is it affecting their, their outfield life? And uh, I think it would even, that's even within the club we're seeing as well, you know, like the GA community overall recognises that we need to make sure our members and our, and our teammates and our colleagues are are okay and are, are open to talking to each other about it because um, it's something obviously we've seen a lot of the last while some very sad situations of people losing their lives so or suicide and different things um, and we don't want to see that and we want to try and figure out how can we best support these people or proactively engage with these people who are you know finding things difficult um, and like you said it's okay to have a conversation with things to, to open up and have a chat so we very much promote that with the GPA and with our members and thankfully our counselling supports we have 24 7 365 text and call counselling supports which our players seem to be more open to engaging with um, which is a positive thing because they're more open to having conversations even if it's not about a very serious mental health situation but even if it's about stress or anxiety or something along the that they're open to having a conversation looking for help which I think is the biggest thing so um, we're, we're actually going to work on something this year a new programme in uh, yeah. mental health champions which, which basically will try and educate or will offer education to players about how they can maybe approach someone they may feel is, is struggling how can they identify signposts maybe of someone struggling um, best have conversations with these people and direct them then to the professional help which is important too so that's something we're going to make a big push on over the next few months and of course, uh, yeah, that that's it, and it's uh, it's great to see to see all these things coming about as well, and uh, you know, it it's um, hopefully hopefully players will be able to, you know, that it's it's great to see that they're getting the the help they need as well, um, which is which is vital, and especially for the for younger player for younger players as well, yeah. and uh, I suppose really to move on to I suppose before I go off the subject as well, uh, you know, kind of in that uh, program was looking at, at Lake Regale, a very Good program. I watch it every week. Yeah. Um, I saw last week's episode with Andrew Shocknessy, the former Limerick hurler. As we say, you probably saw it yourself. He has he has MS now, and you know his journey from the minute he took it up, took up hurling, his love for it, and his commitment for it, and his you know his real uh, ded- dedication to it, and 
you know, give it, give it everything, and you have to be the best. That's admired, but also, um, you know, when it came to the part, and when he was, when they were discussing the, the MS, uh, the multiple sclerosis, and that, you know, that was how, how his attitude towards it. You know, that that's uh, that that's uh, you know another aspect of mental health. The way I suppose everyone deals with it differently. You know, deals with with these kind of setbacks in life differently, but. You have to say he's an inspiration when when you see someone like that and how he dealt with it, with that issue in his life. Yeah, I didn't see that again, but I, but I obviously saw a story, and you're right. I think that's a great example of resilience against obviously a hugely impactful, you know, story about like I said his journey the whole way through. You're right in saying I think everyone deals with it differently, and I think there's no problem with that. Um, you know, I think it's important for our young players to to develop their resilience and 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 have challenges facing them. And identify ways of kind of getting over all the challenges. We promote that massively. We have um, we have a rookie camp we put on there every year to bring over a number of the first year, second year, third year players, um, basically to talk about what they should expect from an intercounty career and the challenges they might face, and to have conversations between each other about you know what challenges they're finding and try and work on some workshops in, in resilience and nutrition and different places like that. But you're right in saying that um, looking at those stories, his story there. And and identifying how how he actually fought against it, the resilience he had, and how he's kind of looking at it from a different perspective, it's very inspiring. I think um, we have a few more players and, and and people within the GA community who've done the same, and and those stories need to be told, and and conversations need to be had, and you need to look at what support you have around yourself when you do find things hard. You know, uh, opening up and having a conversation about it's very important. That's it, and of course, uh, another thing now uh, that I thought we would be nice, and I suppose not for these just these two players because it has happened, you know, many players. But I suppose uh, paying a tribute to Red Oak Murphy, who recently uh, tragically passed away, and of course, um, a man from my own county there, Connor Canelli, uh, played with him for Roscommon CBS, played against him at club level. But uh, you know, he, he's a hard guy. Uh, he was a hard guy on the pitch, but a, a gentleman off the pitch. And, you know, two lads that gave it everything at county level and club level. And, uh, you know, he, he passed away, Connor passed away a couple of years ago, as we mm. know, just not, not long into uh, to, to COVID, which was a difficult time for, you know, his former teammates, people that knew him and all that uh, because of the limits. But uh, Red yeah. Oak Murphy as well, just to, uh, like your thoughts and maybe a tribute to those two, two guys, but also other, player, other players that have maybe passed away over the last number of years as well. I, I think to your point about I, I actually I never got to play against Connor. I think he was I think he, his career was 2003. He finished up today with uh, with yeah. Stone, I think, and Stone, uh, yeah. I just started I think in 2005 when I started. But I, I like again from from what you said. I think from everyone's um, everyone's consideration of him, a fantastic player, hard player, very tenacious in the field, but also gentleman off the field. And I think you said it there it's been difficult for some people when you know someone passes away and during COVID maybe people have the opportunity to go and 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 go to the funerals, which can be you know, difficult for them people to have a little bit of um, a little bit of a say goodbye in, in proper proper ways. But um, I think look, there's been so many stories to to, to Red Dog Murphy, um, a young guy that I met and uh, I have actually coached uh, through one session before. Fantastic talented player. Um, and it was just terrible sad to hear of his passing. Um, I know how impactful he was at Sligo. I know he went over to AFL for a while and gave that a go, which is a brave brave move for anyone to do. And was very did himself very proud by doing that. And then as well with DCU, I know a lot of players who had the utmost respect and were great friends with him. And um, he's a huge loss to 
to the GA community, but also just the community in general, because he's a wonderful lad and um, my condolences to family and everyone else. But you know, that, that it just highlights as well, and we mentioned before, you know, I think we need to make sure we're, we get around each other. The GA is a wonderful community in the overall essence of, of being a, a real community and, and supporting each other. I've never seen an association or community as good as GA to get around people when, when times are hard, you know. Um, I think as well, that's more prevalent now. I think we need to make sure that we get around each other at club, at county, and just, and just ensure that if there are people struggling, have that conversation because I can guarantee you it's it's not as bad as everyone thinks it is. You know, when people find it down, there are ways out, there are supports there. Um there's very little we, we can't get around together as a community. So um to those points, I know there's a lot of our passings that happen within COVID and I couldn't name them all at all. But I think to to everyone that had happened to was a very sad time. Um and I think fingers crossed we can promote a bit more resilient now and and look at the positives now that are out of it, fingers crossed. Um and try and focus on moving forward in a positive way and, and re-engaging with that community as best we can. And that, that brings me on to the next one. Uh, you know, tributes to the players, the coaches, referees, uh, I suppose, you know, even the volunteers from the people that put up the nets, making the teas, making the sandwiches, you know, the whole thing about, you know, using the um, the gels for, for hands and all that, the whole management around uh, COVID, you know, for training and different things, you know, players not being able to train and coaches not being able to, you know, the whole management, I suppose, going online and doing, um, you know, d- doing uh, Zoom calls and all of Zoom videos and things like that. Very innovative time and great, great, uh, great solutions are around all the problems that maybe, that uh, COVID presented presented at the time and throughout the period of COVID, uh, you, you know how the GA the GM community got around all that. But also, we we've seen, as you just said there, about with the GA where um, where the community, you know, the GA club in the community really pull together and help the, help the community out, you know, like elderly people might need food or they might need deliveries or they might need to be brought to appointments. I know my own local GA club here, Roscommon Gales, uh, did all that. And all the clubs across the country, it was really great to see, um, you, you know, the, I suppose how, it's only, I suppose, when you see something like that, the value of, and when, when, it's, when it really comes down to it, you know that the GA that the GA club actually does come to the fore and does help out the community. Oh, 100 percent. Look, Ed, we know the the value of the GA within local communities all over the country, uh, and the place it plays both in, I suppose, helping each other out, building relationships, the, the pinnacle of the of the kind of the center of the community in some ways in other aspects. So, I think we also recognise how important it was to many people the part it played in their life. Know what they were investing in it themselves, um. So to be able to find ways, thankfully, of getting around and getting the game played, obviously difficult times when there was no supporters and and so on and so forth. But you know we have to remember too that players, club and county and managers and stuff, you know during a a worrying time still went out and still trained and still performed and still played the game they love. One for obviously the pride to have in their county, but two then to, I suppose to try and help the overall community, um. Try and show you know, something gives to give them something to, I suppose to to look at to cheer about to to support. Um, and I think that was valuable enough in a lot of ways we didn't see. So a lot of the respect and a lot of um, uh, recognition needs to go to players, the managers, the volunteers, all those people who during the hard time kept kept the game going. Um, 
administrators and referees, like I said, those people, there's a whole list of them. Um, but also, like I said, then in the end, it did show us that how important the game is within within the community, within the country. Um, it's valuable in a number of different ways, not just the sporting aspect, but the connection aspect to the community as well. So it was great to see players and clubs help out the elderly, help out different ways in their own local community. And I think, um, once again, just highlights how powerful when challenges happen, how powerful, how supportive the GA community can be. Um, I know for myself, we were involved with, uh, I was involved with the duo for Dan, um, for Niall and Ashley Dunner, um, for their child, Dan, and, and fundraising, um, the fundraising we did without the GA community wouldn't have reached the target we did. So just shows people would get behind it. Uh, GA people know GA people, GA people, and they know the value of supporting each other. And whatever county or club you're from, it transcends it. So it's a wonderful thing. And I suppose a lot of people, like there are people kind of around the country that might be too too mad on the, like, you know, a lot of people like to put the GA down. And there are people that are probably not mad on, on the GPA, but I suppose from from my involvement as as a former player and you know for uh, be, being involved in treating treating players' injuries, I see the value of both sides. And to be fair, you couldn't say you couldn't say the GA are kind of doing everything bad. I mean, they, they do they do do a lot of positive things, and of course, you know, players players are lucky to have the Gaelic Players Association as well to look out in their corner so to have their uh, interests and welfare looked after as well so it, it, it is true like a lot of people say you know oh, the GA or this and the GA or that and but, but they do do a lot of the good things and maybe people don't um, like to acknowledge that side of things so what are your thoughts on that just finally before we go yeah no I think um, so the GA Point first, I think definitely the GA, the GA do a, a, a massive amount of good. We still have this unbelievable game, amateur game that's being played. You know, male and female players are playing it. You know, you got camogie, you got uh, ladies football, you got men's hurling football, and it's played nationally. And it's got huge crowds. These games, there's definitely areas they can improve them. Like like every association, um, I think as long as they're trying to improve those, that's all we can ask for. Um, we have we have a, a huge volunteer base in this association, a massive volunteer base that has to be recognised. They wouldn't be volunteering for something they weren't passionate about or didn't believe in. So, I think that um, the overall the overall work from the GEA tries to be as positive as it can. But like everyone, we can all improve in different areas. The GPA one, I think. Um, look, as I said, at the start of the conversation, Aiden, there's no hidden agenda for most realistically. In basic terms, our core focus is just to look after the intercounty players the yeah. best we can. And um, that's all it is. We want to try and help them on field and off field. There's no hidden agenda for most. I think the narrative that's often put out in the media can often be the negative things that happen. So whether it's a confrontation or a disagreement with the GEA and GPA, whether it's about money of some sorts. But if you're involved with us for a while and if you're passionate, if you're passionate about GEA, your 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 club players, your county players who play county, and if you see what we're trying to do, all we're trying to do is find out how their life is at the moment. How can we improve it? How can we how can we give them support to help drive them on even to a higher level uh, on and off the field? Um, you know, we're all about the people and not, not, and not, not, not as much the players, you know, um, because they're both yeah. players and people to us. So I know sometimes people have the wrong um, view of the GPA. Sometimes you won't change that. But um, all I can say is that all we're trying to do is help their, their club mates, their, their county players as best we can. And if we make mistakes, we make mistakes. Uh, everyone does it sometimes, but we try our best to improve the environment to a level that really supports male and female players, which is a hugely important thing for us. 
And uh, I mean, that's as, as a former player myself, I, I do see the value and I've great, great support for the GPA. And uh, I suppose going forward now, we hope to, to work with the, the GPA and, uh, in, you know, uncovering future campaigns and things like that. But that's something that, uh, you know, we can let the listeners know about later on as and when, as and when it comes up. So listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do, uh, to do this pod- podcast with us, Colm, and we look forward to, uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks very much. And that was uh, Colin Begley, the welfare, the welfare, well, the player welfare manager for the GPA. You're very welcome to this week's Roscommon GFA with myself, Aidan Raftery. And the show is always kindly sponsored by Best Drive here in Roscommon Town. Well, as always, we have. Um, we have Ollie Colgan. We have Ali Colgan to go through this week's Ladies Gaelic football and to look at look ahead to uh, Roscommon's clash with Kildare in the All Ireland uh, group stages of the championship. Hello, Ali. How are you? Are you well? Hello, Aidan. Well, good. Yeah, that's good. good that's good. Yes. Exactly, and uh, let's hope the the girls can do it. And I hear there's uh, there's good news with uh, Lisa Lisa O'Rourke as well. Yeah, they played Tipperary on a challenge on Tuesday. I went down to it in Ross Grey and Lisa was playing the field and played very well. So, yeah, a great boost before the championship match and gives a great outlift to the squad and everyone was delighted to see her and it was great. It was great. The kids of the kids of Ross Grey were, were, were hugging her, or or hounding her, sorry, um, after afterwards for autographs. So, great, great feel good factor. But more importantly and more seriously, she, she's a huge addition to have back for the for the team coming into the Kildare game, um, so that's yeah, great boost and a few more, a couple of injury niggles. Laura Fleming has only played fifteen minutes. She came off. She she received an injury in a challenge last week, so that's a worry. And Laura, of course, is very key to the situation as well. And uh, Natalie McHugh seems to be struggling to although she played the full game. So yeah, but look, all in all, there. Everyone else seems to have a clean bill of health. I've got a few players back and uh, they've got game time and uh, they'll have one light, light run out tonight in a training session and then it's uh, all rolls lead to Kiltoum on Sunday. That's it, and I suppose really it's um it's going to be it's going to be a a vital match. And uh, do you, can can you see there being many with, with the uh, with the two game with the challenge matches in mind? Can you see many changes from the from the team that lined out in the quarter final against Leitrim? Uh, not really. I'm um, obviously Lisa will be. I would expect to play. Um, it's hard to tell. Ollie, Ollie doesn't make too many changes. He's you know yeah, that kind of right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to break into the team. Uh, it also, as I said, it'll depend on a couple of injury worries. But I can't. I'd say the team that started against Tipperary will probably be the team to line out now. The only thing is, Roisin Wynn didn't start because Roisin was only back from family holiday. So I'd imagine if she did play the second half, then I'd imagine she might come in and Ashley McCall was available Tuesday night. So she's an injury needle. So I'd say them two possibly could come into the defence. Apart from that, I'd say it'd be more or less the same squad as that took the. I'd say probably just one or two changes from the kind of final. But definitely Lisa Rook, I'd imagine, would be one of them. And I suppose really looking at the Lisa O'Rourke and obviously, you know, her high level of fitness from the box and, um, you know, and I know she has had a lot on her plate for the last two weeks or so. Um, but, you know, I suppose overall, though, I'd say her, her fitness and obviously the performance that she had, as like you said, against Tipperary in, 
Ross Gray will be kind of key. It will be one of the key elements to uh, to the match on Sunday against Kildare. So, uh, you know, I suppose I'm, I'm presuming, you know, with that in mind, I'm sure Kildare will probably have a, a plan for her, like, and on what they're going to do um, to kind of curb, curb her influence, given her level of fitness. Yeah, possibly. Now, of course, Kildare don't, probably don't know. I'll, I suppose. In the modern day, I suppose everybody knows nearly everything that's going on and it's very hard to keep things out of camps or in camp. So whether they'll know that she's back or not is is, uh, is hard to tell. Um, so I don't know if she featured against them in the league, I can't recall. Uh, but uh, I funny feeling Kildare won't worry too much about that situation because they're quite a fit team themselves and I think they'll be back in their own play. I think what they'll do many, of course, Roscommon beat them in the league, so that in the league semi-finals, that was a great game. So Kildare have their own little motivation to get back at Roscommon. Um, so I'd imagine that the Roscommon forwards out there were very lively. I'd say Kildare would probably have a plan for the Roscommon forwards in general and um, drop players behind the ball and then attack in numbers. That's normally the way Kildare play. So, yeah, well, look, we'll, 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 hopefully it'll work. It'll work the opposite way out when they see, do see her tugged out that they might get a little fright or something. They might know she's playing, you know, but we don't know. We can only speculate. So, yeah, I'd say they'd be more, they'll more have their, I'd say Kildare's plans will be more curbing the Roscommon forward line than, than their midfield, if you know what I mean. And um, I suppose tactics-wise and, and uh, football style-wise, given how, how kind of things went against Leitrim in the Connacht final, um, I, I'm you know, assuming that the, that those uh, that things that went wrong are kind of are um, are sorted now, and hopefully, hopefully, you know, the 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 girls will be back on track for Sunday. This is, uh, you know, overall though, the, I think the key the key thing in the squad is the positive and feel good factor among the among the girls, it, it, despite the kind of final defeat. Yeah, absolutely. Look, they've they've never wavered really much in in confidence and fairness. And they're, they're a great bunch of girls, and they know that this is a, a long term project. And uh, you know, as we've talked often enough, they got the bonus of the league title. So anything else now, obviously, they want to get to at least a, another quarter final and hopefully beyond. But yeah, they bounce back fairly quick, so they do, and that's 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 a great thing to have in a squad. Now. If it depends on how the game goes under, if it's an arrow defeat, even they might still say, "Well, geez, you know, we still have a great chance here against Longford, and we'll get another crack at this." But if it defeat is is heavy, um, that could possibly rattle the confidence a bit. But uh, and but look at the opposite end is if they win it, you can imagine how good the confidence would be going into the Longford game. So yeah, they're a positive group, and uh, I don't think that they'll. Uh, that allow anything other than that positivity to stay within the group. So I don't expect to be much in it anyway. I mean, I think they've played Kildare now at this stage possibly four or five times over the last three years. And it's tit for tat. A point here, a point there, two points there. It, it, there's never been, I think, it's a couple of victories each or something like that now. So there's never much in it. Like, so um, I expect the same on Sunday. And of course, um, I suppose it's the same in any group situation, in a round-robin situation. When winning the first game is always key to the. It just makes it that bit easier going yeah. forward for the other games in the group, and uh, I'm sure this will be no exception on Sunday. And of course, the fact that it's a that it's a home game is a, is great as well. And of course, um, you know, Kiltoom is always in in fine is in always in great condition as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it's a it's a great pitch for venue and ladies football because. Unfortunately, whether we like it or not, they're not filling out stadiums yet, but hopefully someday they will. So, bring it into Kiltoom where you have a, can have a nice, tight, small, 
crowd but make which would sound like a huge crowd so that's that's important it brings an atmosphere and uh, rather than having it in Hyde Park or something like that so yeah the home crowd or home support should be strong the weather is promised good so hopefully the crowd will come out there's no men's matches on there's no other league club matches on so if people have an hour to, an hour and a half to spare on a Sunday where better place to head to the room and get behind the girls and yeah, it'll certainly uh, home 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 venue is huge in in any sport, and it's no different next on the, and home support is huge. So, yeah, look at hopefully it'll come out on the right end of it. Um, um, I wouldn't even rule out the possibility of a draw, as I said, with the history of the two sides, you know. Yeah, and I, I suppose really when when you consider the fact that, and we were saying it on the, on on here as well, you know, a couple of weeks ago there, the the, the girls were elite and allowed to play for their clubs uh, in the league in the league finals and that. Between that and the f- couple of friendlies, and I suppose more the majority of the players coming through injury free, that has been key to the, the preparations for this match as well. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, as it all adds to that, as you say, that feel good factor and. Um, so that's important that, that that's kept going. And in fairness to the guys, they have managed that well. Uh, the downside to that is picking up injuries, which just seemed to, not too bad, but uh, obviously I don't want to single out any one person, but Laura Fleming is huge, a huge player for them. And it'll, it'll really, they'll be, they'll be wrapping her in cotton wool on Sunday morning. So, um, uh, she, yeah, apart from that, everything else seems to be going well. And that's that's the key factor now is getting her fit and well for the pit, the game and the uh, rest of the squad is and look there's plenty of options there on the bench too to come in and as you said most we've said here a lot of times the the squad is developing and the whole time but there's a nice structure to it now and when they played when they played Leitrim in the kind of final it's a big point too they've kind of changed their style um, because Ollie doesn't defend he normally defends a lot more so the, maybe now they've had a bit more time to play with the new style that they might be better prepared for Sunday too and that's that's important too and of course, you know, that new style was kind of, um, you know, in an ideal situation, it's it's nice to experiment with with these new styles kind of in friendlies. But I suppose yeah. to, to a huge to a huge degree, you know, the certain certain styles of play were, were played in, in the championship as well. So when it goes into this game on Sunday, they'll uh, they'll know what's expected of them. And they, of course, they're uh, they would have done their whole their, their homework on Kildare as well. So they'll know what they'll know what to expect on the pitch, and they'll be familiar with, I suppose, the strengths and weaknesses of the of the uh, the players they're marking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like as I said, we. We have said they've met each other a good few times now lately, so there'll be plenty of video footage of the two of them playing against each other and playing other opposition. So, uh, and it's an important part of the modern game is video technology and preparation like that. So, you know, absolutely, they'll they'll have studied uh, their style and their key players, and it's about getting the matchups right and who's marking who and stuff like that. So, and I likewise with Kildare. So that's all the intriguing parts of it that come together then on the day, and then of course then the final part is. What you can prepare for is how players react on the day and, and um, you know, the occasion. And uh, that's that's important to us. But they'll be ready and they'll be prepared and they'll be hungry and hopefully the results will go the right way. And I suppose really looking at this, uh, the uh, the certain 15, if it's more or less the same the, the same certain 15 with the exception maybe of Lisa O'Rourke if she's starting in midfield, um, you know, if it's, a, if it's the same 15, but can you see inv- envisage any kind of maybe positional switches? That's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry for cutting the pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he experimented earlier in the year, if you remember, with Neve Feeney has been the sweeper. Now Neve is permanently at wing back. So and he he hasn't abandoned the sweeper. He did he did against Leitrim and didn't quite work. So he has kind of come back with the sweeper, 
but uh, not as deep as used to. So Carolyn Conway played that corner forward against Tip, and I imagine she will start corner forward and she'll sweep back. And it's a role that suits her because she's a clever, clever footballer too. So, uh, yeah, so there might be a few positions where Jenny Higgins now it looks as if it's going to be on the edge of the square um, for that option of a, of a high ball if they want to, or at least a target a target player. So, yeah, there's been, there will be there certainly will be positional changes. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I suppose, really, is it is it fair to say that maybe you know I know he he's a big fan of us and um, he, he believes in the the sweeper system. But is it fair to say that Forrest Common maybe the sweeper system doesn't suit against every team? It's maybe it suits maybe against some a certain opposition and maybe not another uh, one team and it mightn't suit against another team. Is that fair to say or? You know what I mean. In order to get the best out of the players on the day, given you know, with, I suppose in mind of who they're playing. Ah, yeah. Well, that's where managers should do their homework, and and you adapt your style to look at. You have you have a certain way you, you like to play, no matter mm-hmm. who you play. But you tweak it for depending on the opposition. So, like some 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 oppositions will come and play against you, and they'll put everyone behind the ball, and you have to figure out a way of getting through that. And then others will come with a very attack-minded approach, and you may kind of smother things a bit or whatever. And like we all seen the famous, <laughs> which is now the infamous Ulster final last Sunday. We don't want that. But yeah, what basically what you want to do is you, you have to be able to adapt your style, but predominantly your own style kind of measure because you're training all year and girls know what to do and they haven't got the ball, they know what position to be in, they know where to go, they know where to make the runs, stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. You would tailor it to meet the opposition and um, they'll have done that on Sunday as well. And of course, as well, it's, um, I suppose, the, the transition from defence to attack is essential too in, in a championship game, especially um, a game at this level, like, you know, at the business end of the championship and the All-Ireland Championship, uh, you know, it's about getting getting from the defence into the, into attack as quickly as possible. And I think that's maybe something that the, that these girls are very good at. Well, this, uh, that's, that's, that's something that they've changed in, in fairness. Yeah. They didn't really do that. Um, they were very defensive let's be honest they were um, but they certainly have altered that so they're, they're now leaving up Jenny Higgins they're leaving up Ashton Hanley they're leaving up possibly another forward at any given time whereas they used, they used to nearly, everyone used to nearly go behind the ball but now they're, they are leaving that option and certainly it looks appearing, appearing from the couple of challenge matches they've played it looks as soon as anybody is to break a ball down in defence that they look up and they hit the space and they hit the long ball in so that's yeah and then they, they all run after, you know, run to join the three girls up front so yeah and that is a key factor in the modern game. And most teams now, men and women, are playing that way. Certain big numbers back, and then everyone breaks in numbers as well. So basically, it's a, it's a, the huge part of the modern game is the turnover. And basically, once you have it turned over, then it's transitioning that turnover into the attack as quick as you can. And of course, as well as that, it was lovely to see uh, to see Lisa on the pitch at half time there, showing show being presented to the crowd with her uh, showing off her medal, a, a proud moment for her as well. And uh, you know the uh, you know in the Roscommon shirt and all that, it was it was a lovely moment for her and her family, and of course the fans to see her and you know everyone involved in GA in Roscommon as well. Ah, yeah. Look at these moments. Look, we're we're a small nation. We're a small island. We don't get world champions too often. We could you could nearly count them. Well, you could definitely. They wouldn't. You wouldn't be into three, three triple figures, uh, and that's since nearly since the beginning of time between any sport, between golf, football, rugby, athletics, whatever, boxing. So when these moments come along, it's only right that they should be celebrated and heralded as a great achievement. And 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 to have one in our own county is an incredible achievement. And 
and uh, to have her playing with us at, at, at LGA level in Oscarman is even better and uh, of course it should be celebrated and it was a terrific moment to be a proud moment for her family as, as you say and herself uh, but, and a proud day for the county to see her in Oscarman or sorry see her in Salt Hill last Sunday being applauded like that and of course, uh, you know, it's a moment that was well deserved for a girl to put in an awful lot of effort in the, the last couple of years. Because I, I suppose really, when you think about it, um, Aoife would have been up until recently would have been the, the one that everyone would have focused on in European Championships yeah. and then the, then the Olympics and that. So, um, you know, for, for the focus to be, with, with all due respect to Aoife, she's a, she's a very good boxer as well. But, uh, she, but Lisa would have put in an awful lot of work over the last couple of years and uh, you know that amounted to uh, you, you know her achievement uh, in the boxing in the boxing as well. So and of course that'll transfer on on uh, on the pitch as well. Her fitness and uh, I, I suppose the determination can transfer from one. The determination that she has transfers from one to the other, and uh, I'm sure she 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 she's fighting fit and dying to get back now to, uh, for the Kildare game so listen thanks very much for taking the time out to do Roscommon uh, and GFA with us next uh, this week and we look forward to looking back on the Kildare game again next week ok no problem no problem thanks very much and I was uh, Ollie Colgan from Roscommon and GFA hello everyone and you're very welcome back to Friday Sport here on Ross FM 94.6 with myself Aidan Rafferty and the show is always, as always kindly sponsored by Heinz Pharmacy or sorry by uh, Best Drive and Heinz Pharmacy here in Roscommon Town well unfortunately we've come to the end of the show but I hope you enjoyed everything we had on the show uh, the final episode of um, of uh, Premier League chat with myself and uh Martin Dunn, where we look back at the season, look back at the Champions League and, and things like that, as well as uh, looking at, also look at the interview with uh, part two of the interview with uh, Colin Begley, as well as Roscommon LGFA with um, with uh, Ollie Colgan and uh, much, much more. So, uh, well, we've come to the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you'll... Uh, Tune in again next uh, on uh, next Friday week or for this this day fortnight. Um, as I said at the start of the show, there will be no programs. Uh, there will be no shows on uh, Ross FM next week due to the move. Um, we're moving all the equipment uh, to the new premises. There'll be more about that in uh, you know uh, during the week. We'll be we'll be informing you of that. But um, don't 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 worry. There's still plenty of uh, there's still plenty of uh, great shows from uh, Monday to from next Monday to uh, Friday or from next Monday to Thursday, I should say, uh, before we move. So stay tuned and don't forget, as always, uh, the new show GA View with myself, Aidan Raftery, and of course, sporting guests will be on uh, this thir- this uh, thir- or next Thursday at uh, ten o'clock from ten o'clock until eleven. And uh, that show, if you can't get it live, it's available on uh, Spotify. Just look up; uh, you can find it. You can find that and all the other all my other interviews that that are um, that will be podcasted individually. They're available on. Uh, Spotify, just look up Aiden Raftery or Friday Sport or GA View or Sports View or even Ross Sports View and of course Roscommon GA Memories and you'll find all the stuff there. The 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 show that used to be on Ross FM, Roscommon GA Memories with myself and Ray Lennon. So uh, there's plenty to, to plenty to listen to with regards to sport on Spotify from myself. So uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Until next week, until a fortnight's time we hope you enjoy all the sports it's uh, the GA now is back on 
uh, the finish of the World Cup, of the uh, Premier League and all kind of soccer is uh, is over now for un- until uh, the start of the season. As, as myself and uh, Martin said, the uh, the first of uh, or the eighth of August. So look forward to talking to you in uh, on Friday for on this day fortnight. Until then, thanks very much. Bye.